Here's a question uh, that I want us to um, consider this afternoon, and it's this. Why would you notice me? Why would you notice me? In a minute, we're going to read the chapter, and I want you to see, as I read it, I want you to see that what happens in this chapter is that a man called Boaz notices this woman called Ruth. And that fact blows her mind. Let me read it, and, uh, and then we're going to unpack it, and we'll look at it together. Have that question in your mind. Why would you notice me? So Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the left eye of a grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. <laughs> Would you believe it? Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves, don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she'd left over after she'd eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. 
Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to clean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. It's an amazing story, right? Here's this woman, Ruth. She's coming from Moab. Let's say Moab's over here. Moab is a place that's far away from God's people. She's not one of God's people. She married a bloke in chapter 1. He died. She's a widow. She's coming to Bethlehem, to Israel. She's got nothing. And here is her question. Why would you notice me? And I want to suggest this afternoon that if you begin to think about that question, it is a profoundly deep question. Because it touches on something in every single one of our hearts. Because all of us have a deep sense of wanting to be noticed. We want to make a mark in the world. We want to be seen. We want someone to see us. You hate being ignored, don't you? I'm assuming you're not ignoring me. I'm assuming that's an overwhelming yes. We hate being ignored. We hate being rebuffed. We hate it when we're not noticed. I had one of those horrible moments the other night. when It was at at our midweek meeting, actually. We were sat around a table. And someone said to my wife, have you had your hair cut? Of course, that's devastating, isn't it, for me? I was like, oh yes, <laughs> she has. <laughs> and someone else has noticed and I didn't. <laughs> See, we hate it, right? We hate it when we're not noticed. Although it might run in the family because my dad had a moustache, right, for 28 years. He shaved it off and my mum didn't notice. <laughs> anyway, uh, so it might, it might run in the family. That I'm pleading. <laughs> it's genetic. It's not my fault. <laughs> But we like, we want to be noticed. And in some ways, this is one of the most important questions we could ever ask. Why would you notice me? What is it about me that makes me noteworthy, noticeable? Think about your workplace. It's, It's a horrible feeling when someone is given promotion and you're overlooked. When someone else is noticed, it hurts. When you find out there's been a party that you haven't been invited to, it hurts. Because we want to be noticed. It matters that we're noticed. And in fact, it's slightly more than that. I think we're told we have a right to be noticed. You should be noticed. You're special. You're noteworthy. You're important. You deserve. So the question for us isn't so much why would you notice me. The question is how dare you ignore me? (laughs) Don't you dare ignore me. I have a right to be heard. I will be heard. And so our question that we are often thinking when we get ignored is, how dare you? But the question we're going to look at in Ruth chapter 2 flips our thinking upside down. You see, Ruth doesn't go around saying, how dare anyone ignore me? Actually, her question is, why would you notice me? And I want to say to you this afternoon... If you can understand what Ruth discovered in that field in Bethlehem all those years ago, if you can understand why you are noteworthy, why God would notice you, you will find something that is 
liberating, humbling, joyful, wonderful. That's what I want us to do this afternoon. That sounds like a good use of half an hour, right? So we're going to dig into this, and we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, But I kind of want to set it up. This is what I'm aiming for, that stunning realization that Jesus would notice you. That's what I'm heading towards. And I want you to feel it. I want you to feel the heartbeat of that question. He noticed me. Let's get into this story and, uh, and walk our way through this story. And um, I want to keep that question constant in our minds. And I've got seven things I want us to see. Right? Seven point sermon. Um, but it's okay. Because we're going to do it twice. Right? So we're going to do it once for the story and then we're going to apply it. Right? So we're going to do 14 points. Okay? Which is just going to be fun. Right? Uh, it's going to be fine. Uh, we're going to go fast. But all the way through, I want us to see, how did it get to the point where Boaz, and actually we'll see God, noticed this woman, Ruth? How did that happen? Firstly, um, it was orchestrated by God. First up, let's get into the story, and you'll see that Ruth is noticed because of what God is doing. Because God is putting things in place. Here she comes, back from Moab, back to Bethlehem, she's... And nobody, she has no prosper. I'm not being unkind. I'm just saying how things were. We have to understand, all right? Ruth is a nice name. She sounds like a lovely girl. But actually, in that culture, she just had nothing going for her. But there's a strong hint of where things are heading. Just go back to the last verse of chapter 1. You get this little hint. She arrives in Bethlehem as the barley harvest is beginning. So there's some food going to be there. And that hint continues in chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of, ooh, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech. It's kind of like there's this hope that begins to be in place. There's someone in Bethlehem who might be able to help. And then look at verse 2. Ruth says, let's go, let me go to the field to pick up some grain. Naomi says, go on then. And, uh, have a look at verse 3. This is very important how this is written. So she went out, entered the field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Can't you see the irony of what the, the writer is saying? That is a loaded as it turned out. That is a, huh, would you believe it? There's a man in Bethlehem who might be able to help. His name is Boaz. Ruth is making a decision about which field to go to. As it turns out, she went to Boaz's field. She doesn't know him. She doesn't know anything about him. But that's where she ends up. And what we're supposed to see is that God is putting things together. This is no fluke. This is no chance. This is a doctrine that the Bible... uh, Christians call providence, okay? The doctrine of providence, that God is at work in our circumstances putting things in place. There is no such thing as luck. Or at least there is luck, but the luck that I experience is actually God's providence. God is in control. Do you know, this is something that 
is slightly puzzling and does bug us sometimes. But you know, the Bible says that God is so in control, he's in control of the tiniest thing. Like when you roll a dice, which number comes from the dice? He's in control of it. It's not fluke. God puts all these pieces together. He is working out. Remember, right? He's got a very big plan he's working out. There's a baby who needs to be born in Bethlehem who's going to be the saviour of the world. And you've got this girl who's come back from Moab, no prospect, no hope, and she's going, I've got to find a field, I've got to find a field, which field shall I go to? I'm going to go for this one. <laughs> ka That's the one, right? That's the field of the bloke who she needs to marry so that God is working out his plan. He's, he's a meticulous planner. He is utterly con- He's utterly committed to working out his plan. He doesn't leave it to chance. He doesn't go, we'll see if Ruth picks the right field. Go, bother. We're going to have to use Blobby instead of Boaz. It's not such a good name. But, you know, we'll... God works it out. He's working out his purposes. There is no luck. God orchestrates. Boaz notices Ruth because God is in control. Ah, you say... Oh, but this sounds very depressing because this is just like fate. Que sera, sera, whatever it will be to be. You know, uh, does it really matter what I do? Here's my second thing. It does not bypass human decision. So the fact that God is in control organizing these things, as luck would have it, the fact that God is in control doesn't mean that Ruth is irrelevant in the story. Look what we're told. She gets on with doing stuff. She, She... He's a hard worker. She says, let me go to the fields and pick up grain. We're hungry. We've got no food. I know what I'll do. I'll go and do what seems wise. I'll get on with doing the right thing. I'll try and provide for Naomi. And I want you to see that the way that providence works is that as I get on with trying to do the right thing, God gets on with working out his plan. That's how it works. God's providence does not mean it's all down to me or that it's all kind of irrelevant what I do, God's providence uses my choices and my decisions in order to work out his plans. That's how providence works. So here is Ruth getting on with doing what she does and God works it out. And let's face it, she works hard. Did you hear what the guy said? She's worked hard from morning to evening. She's only had one rest in a shelter. The heat of the day, picking up grain. She's a hard work. She's at it, right? This is no excuse sometimes. Oh, man. Right, I met a bloke once, and he's not in this room, so we're okay. And he said to me, I don't believe in working. I just believe that God will give me everything I need. And uh, I was like, what are you talking about? He said, I just believe that God will provide all my housing. And then he said to me, could you give me some money? I said to him, no. (laughs) Because that's not how it works. That's not how it works. God, prov- We have a responsibility to get on with stuff. Ruth is a hard worker. Don't you use this as an excuse just to be lazy. And go, oh, God will do it. No, God does it as we work. That's how things happen. Anyway, uh, third thing, right? So we've got God orchestrates it. Ruth is getting on with it. And uh, here's my third thing. It doesn't get better than him. It doesn't get better than Boaz. You cannot imagine... I I, I challenge you to imagine a better man than Boaz. I find find myself feeling very inadequate reading Ruth chapter 2. 
as a man, are just really going, oh. It's like that moment in, um, oh no, that's, that's a, you know that bit in Pride and Prejudice where Mr. Darcy jumps into the lake and comes out? <laughs> I'm talking about the old Pride and Prejudice that probably you're all too young even to, when Colin Firth played Pride and Prejudice, Val, you'll know this. Yeah. Um, no, I'm putting myself in the same category. It's not that old. It's in colour. Anyway. So, Mr. Darcy dives into the lake and then he strides across, kind of like, and he just, he's just like an absolute, he's the perfect man, right? And all the blokes watch, all the women watching, oh, it's cool. And the blokes go, it's not real anyway, it's a stunt double. Now, look, it doesn't get, that is Boaz, right? Boaz is this incredible character. Just look at him with me, right? For a start, he's wealthy. And that's not the best thing about him, but he's, but he's wealthy. We're told that... I'm not... <laughs> Look, he's a man of standing, right? That literally, means, that literally means he's loaded, okay? He's got loads of money. He's a very well-respected man in, in the society. This is going all wrong. So um, he's not lacking resources. He has the resources that, that, that Ruth needs, okay? He's a man of standing. But he's not just wealthy. He's also a close relative. Now, okay, in our culture, that's like, oh, no, that's bad. <laughs> that's a bad thing. In, in that culture, he's not a close relative of Ruth, right? He's a close relative of Ruth's husband who died. And in that culture, well, not that culture, according to God's law, you can look it up in Deuteronomy 25, God says, if a man dies without having a son, then his brother or a close relative marries the wife. So you have a, and the firstborn son carries on the name of the dead husband. Now, I know that's weird in our culture, right? But in that culture, that's how it works. So he's a relative. So he's, he's wealthy, tick. He's a relative. He's, he's in a position to help Ruth and Naomi. If he wasn't a relative, he couldn't help them. But he's not just a relative. He's also righteous. He keeps the law. He's a good boss. I mean, look, look, look when he turns up. He greets his um, harvesters. The Lord be with you. And they shout back, the Lord bless you. I take it that means he's a good boss. He, he treats his employees well. He prays a blessing on them. He's a man who fears God, who talks about God. He's a man who loves God. Do you know, in the law, in God's law, there's a, it explicitly says, do not harvest to the corners of your field. You must leave some of the corn around the edge for the poor and for the alien, the, the foreigner among you to come and collect. And that's what he does. In fact, he does more. Do you see? He does even more. He's even saying to him, pull some out. <laughs> Chuck him out behind you. <laughs> because he's a man who loves God's law. He wants to keep the law. And not only is he righteous, he's also very kind. Look at the way he talks to her, verse 8. My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Stay here. I mean, that, can, can you imagine this man? Can you imagine the way he said that? Can you picture this man? I don't know what he looked like, but can you picture his face, a, a face of kindness, a smile on his face? I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. Hey, if you're thirsty, go get a drink from the water jar. Caring for her. And he's generous. He gives to her. He gives. It doesn't get better than Boaz. 
Fourth. So this question, why would you notice me? Um, it is not because she's worthy. So have a look at what she says. So she experiences this ex- extraordinary... She doesn't yet know who this man Boaz is, right? As far as she knows, she's just in a random field. And, and uh, she says, verse 10, and this re- I think this is the key verse in this chapter. This, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Now, my guess is that psychologists would probably have a field day with saying she's struggling with self-esteem. You know, she really... That's not something you're supposed to say. Why would, you, why would you notice me? And yet she does have this very clear view of herself. She calls herself a foreigner. So look, I mean, even look at the way it's written. Go back to verse 2. Ruth, the Moabite. You can't get away from who she is. She's the Moabite. Not the Israelite, the Moabite. And then when the overseer, look at verse 6. The overseer, when Boaz says, who's she? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab. And you can almost sense in him quite a harshness. She's the Moabite. That's where she's from. Now I can't, again, I tried to express this last week. The Moabites were enemies, right? They were not just friendly neighbours like us in France. We loved the French, right? We loved the French. They didn't love the Moabites. They didn't like their cheese. They, they weren't interested in the Moabites, right? In fact, there have been some really bad experiences of the Moabites in the past. There was a time with Moab, where, and it was the Moabite women, where the men of Israel had, been, had, had got into huge um, problems with the Moabite women who had been seduced by these women, and, and they'd been led off to worship other gods, and, the, and Israel had this massive uh, judgment from God. Moabite, right? It was a bad, it was a place of enemies, she knows that. She's not kidding herself. She doesn't, she's, she doesn't even have the same standing as Boaz's servant. So you remember I said in Deuteronomy 25 that um, if the guy dies and the other brother has to take on the Degadur, that probably wasn't even true here because she's not, she's not an Israelite woman. Boaz isn't under any obligation under the law. She, he doesn't have to. She's not covered by God's law. She's a foreigner. She's an outsider. She's potentially toxic. She could destroy everything for Boaz. Don't touch her with a barge pole. Now, the problem is, all right, because many of us know this story of Ruth, and we think, oh, Ruth, I bet she was lovely. A lovely girl. I bet she was really pretty. You know, in all the books, she's like this, she almost takes on a Disney princess type thing, doesn't she? Most of us imagine Ruth to be like this Disney princess. We have to get into our heads, right? That Ruth, I'm, I'm not talking about how, whether she looked nice, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that she was, there was nothing in her to commend her. There, in chapter 4, another, another man actually could have taken Ruth. And he says, I don't want her. It's not that there's something beautiful about Ruth in and of herself. And she's not just being falsely modest. You know, you know when you, um, you meet people and they say things like, oh, well, I'm not very good at the piano. And they're actually like <laughs> unbelievable at the piano. She's not like, oh, well, I don't deserve anything here. When actually she really... No, she's being absolutely... She's right. She has no rights here. 
And if we begin to think of Ruth as this beautifully, oh, she's so wonderful, she's so attractive. There's something, I'm going to show you there is something stunningly attractive about her. But, it, this, but it's not anything to do with her. I'll show you in a minute. So it's not because she's worthy. So why? Why would Boaz notice her? What is it about her that he notices? Why does he take an interest? It is because of faith. Right, this is, very, this is the most important part, part of my sermon, okay? So if you're drifting, which I, let's, let's face it, some of us do, uh, let's, let's hang in there. Um, because this is so important for us to get clear theologically. Why is she noticed? Right, have a look. Boaz answers her question. Why would you notice me, she says. I'm a foreigner. Boaz answers her question. Now, what do you make of this answer? Honestly, what do you make of this? I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Why does Boaz notice her? Now, this got to be careful here, okay? We're specifically told that Boaz notices her because of what she's done. May you be richly rewarded because of what you've done. Now, this is a big issue, right? Because we often are told in the Bible that it's not because of what we do that God notices us. It's not because we're special. It's not because of the good things we do. So what's going on here? Is it that Ruth is this wonderful person who's done this wonderful stuff? No, look at what it is she's done. What has she done that means she's noticed? What is it that Boaz says? Boaz says this. It's very simple. This is what Ruth has done. She has left Moab and she has come to God to take refuge under his wings. She's left Moab and she's come to God. That is what she has done. And that is what faith means. It is about turning away from living my own way with my gods and my things and turning to God. That's what Ruth's done. It's faith. It's repentance, turning, and faith. So look, imagine a a little um, eagle, a a little um, eaglet, a very little eaglet, okay? Like about this big. And it's a happy little eaglet. And, um, but, and it's splashing around in a puddle and it's having a happy time. But then a, what should we have? A wolf comes. And the wolf is stalking the eaglet. Right? And the eaglet sees the wolf and is like, <laughs> scared. And the wolf is going to eat the eaglet. And the eaglet, this is what the eaglet does. Right? It runs... So it's mummy eaglet, eagle, who spreads out her wings, her magnificent, strong, powerful wings. And the eaglet snuggles in, and the eagle snaps at the wolf, and off he goes. Now, the eaglet is rewarded for what she's done. The little eaglet is rewarded because she's safe. But what is it she's done? She's come and found refuge in her mum. So in some ways, it's crazy to say, oh, look at this eagle. She's, what a wonderful eaglet. No, no, it's what a wonderful eagle where safety is found. 
And that is exactly the image that we're being told. Boaz says, you are a little eaglet who was in Moab in great danger and you ran to find refuge in God. You found refuge under his wings. And Boaz says, that is why you should be rewarded. Faith brings reward. Not, not, oh, well done, Ruth. You're so wonderful. You're so brilliant. It's, Ruth, you've come to the one place that's safe. And uh, it's all because of faith. Um, Two more things. It brings redemption. Right, we we need to split up. It brings redemption. So here, here she is. Um, she says, may I continue to find favor? Here she is. She's come to God. She's under God's wings. She's come under the protection of God. And now, you see, now you see what Boaz starts to do? I love this. At mealtime, come over here. Have some bread. Dip it in the wine vinegar. She sits down. He offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted. Look at that. She ate all she wanted. Now, we always eat all we want, right? N- nearly every day, we know what it's like to have full tummies. She hadn't had a full stomach for months and months and months. She was in absolute poverty. She had nothing and suddenly she's redeemed out of hunger into fullness. This is beautiful, right? She's provided for. She's redeemed. And then he goes on and, and and he protects her. And he talks to his workers and he says, don't harm her, don't harm her, you know, take care of her, provide for her, give her food. And here, suddenly, Ruth goes from being this empty, weak, endangered eaglet to being the one who's redeemed, who's now provided for, who's safe. It's a magnificent picture. And the final thing in these seven points is that after all of that, it would be crazy to go to another field. So Boaz says, why don't you stay in my field? Imagine if she'd said, oh, cheers, Boaz. It's been a great day. I'm going to go and try someone else. Can you imagine that? So she gets back to Naomi, and Naomi's like, whoa, what's happened to you? You've had a good day. Which man took notice of you? you know? and, and it all goes out, and then Naomi says to Ruth, It'll be good for you to stay there. Ruth, you stay there. And so the chapter ends in verse 23. So Ruth stayed close. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? And so here is this beautiful story. This beautiful story of how God takes this one little eaglet who was in massive danger in Moab, who ran to him under his wings, and Boaz noticed her. Can you see why Boaz noticed her? Now, I promised you that, that this would make sense to us in terms of us and, and, and us being noticed by Jesus. What's it got to do with us? Very quickly, look at this, right? God notices us. Jesus notices us. He takes notices of us. He orchestrates it, right? He puts things in place. He determines the exact places where you live. He determines the fact that Sarah ended up in London, living in London, coming to the church. He organized it. He puts things in place. Perhaps you're not even a Christian. You're here this afternoon. You're checking out. You don't know what you think about anything to do with this stuff. Well, can I say, it's no accident that you're here. It's not, oh, just so happened that I went to church today. No, it didn't just so happen. God puts things in place in order that he can speak to you, in order that you can be noticed, in order that he can speak to you. Isn't that cool? 
I don't know where you first heard about Jesus. It wasn't an accident. But it's also, it doesn't bypass human decision. It's not like we just sit there and, you know, do nothing. We're to go seeking. We're to look. We're to seek Jesus. We're to look for him. We're to seek it. We're to ask questions. We're to think. We're to go after it. Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. You have to go after it. God is putting things in place, but you go after it. And as you go after it, show you this, right? It doesn't get better than him. You see, if you think Boaz is the perfect man, you're wrong. There's one that's better. Possibly only one. But there is one who's better. A man not just of good standing, but a man for whom the whole wealth and all the riches of the whole world belong to him. His name's Jesus. Boaz is great, 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 great grandson. He is wealthy and powerful beyond your imagination. He has the resources. He's not lacking resources. But get this. He also made the decision to leave heaven. He's the son of God. He made the decision to leave heaven to become your relative. To become a human being. Because only a human being can save you. Only someone who is your close relative. And Jesus came to be your brother. Jesus came to take on human flesh. Jesus came. That's why he can help you. Because he's not some eh, distant spiritual thingy out there. He's a man. A man who's better than Boaz. It's Jesus. And he's righteous, the one who fully keeps the law. He's kind. Look at the way he speaks to people. My daughter. Do you know, when you listen to Boaz speak, it sounds like Jesus. My daughter. My precious child. That's how Jesus speaks, right? And he's so generous. Generous to those who deserve nothing. And it doesn't get better than Jesus. And I have to say to you, if you've never met him, if you don't know him, if you've never experienced him noticing you, him smiling upon you, it doesn't get better than that. That is life. That's life. To be known by him. But it's not, get this, it's not because we're worthy. You know when Ruth says, I'm a foreigner? That's my situation too. I don't come to Jesus and say, hey Jesus, look at me. I've got all this stuff that you should notice me for. I've done this, I've done this, I've got this degree, I've got this job, I'm so, I've got these skills, I'm really beautiful. <laughs> Less so. I, I've got all this stuff, Jesus, look at me. Now I want to tell you as clearly as I can, there is nothing in me and there is nothing in you which makes you worthy to be noticed by Jesus. It is not because we are so special and wonderful. In fact, just like Ruth, I say I'm a foreigner to God. I have to confess, I hate being a foreigner. I hate going, I really struggle. I know some people love it. I hate that experience of being in a different country. And the fact that if, you know, I I know know how things work here. I know what to do. 
I know how to use a telephone. I just know. I know what to do. I find it so hard when I'm in a different culture and I just go, like, oh, I don't belong. I don't belong. I feel nervous all the time, like I'm going to get arrested for doing something wrong. And, you know, I, I just, I'm a bit paranoid, right? And when it comes to God, okay, I want you to understand I am a foreigner by nature to God. I am far from him. I have turned my back on him. I don't come to him and go, oh, yeah, look at me. I'm just terrific. I am a foreigner to him. Far, far away. But Jesus noticed. God notices me by faith. I'm the little eaglet. Far, far away. And all I do is I just waddle and squawk and splash my way to Jesus. And he spreads his arms over me and says, Oh, my precious child, welcome home. Can't you see? It's not me. It's not because I'm so wonderful. It's I'm not. I'm a pathetic little eaglet. Worse than that, I deserve to be cut off from God forever because of the way I've treated him. And yet instead, I can run to him and he spreads his wings over me and says... notice you and as I do that here's the cool thing as I run to Jesus that's where I find redemption you know it's interesting just if you could still get your Bibles open just look again at the language um, when she sits down for a meal with, with Boaz when she sat down with the harvesters this is verse 14 halfway through he offered her some roasted grain she ate all she wanted and had some left over. Don't ring any bells. I don't know if you know the Bible very well. Maybe you don't. That's fine. If you do, I wonder if you recognize that. Jesus had a meal with some people once. Quite a lot of people, 5,000. And there wasn't any food. And yet Jesus, they're hungry. They're starving. Jesus provides bread for them. And it says they ate all they wanted. And there was a lot left over. And here is Boaz, this beautiful picture. And here is Jesus, this one who provides us, who fills our emptiness, who not only, who, who takes upon himself the, the rubbish that we've done and gives us life that satisfies. He's the redeemer. He brings redemption. And he does it because that's what he went to a cross for. And I, it, this afternoon, in many ways, I want you to imagine Jesus as he hangs on a cross with his arms st- stretched out wide as being that eagle who stretches out his wings and who says, come shelter here. Come shelter here. There is safety here. Even use that picture. He said to people, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. Like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you weren't willing. And this afternoon, he holds out his arms and he says, I long to gather you. Will you run to me? And maybe you've got all kinds of stress and all kinds of stuff. And you may feel worthless and you may feel empty and you may feel in danger and you may feel rubbish and you may feel pathetic. And all the time, Jesus is saying, come, come find refuge here. And if you have done that, let me say this to you, it would be crazy to go to another field. Why would you go anywhere else? Why would you not spend your life in this field with this king, with this saviour? So this afternoon as we sit here, why would Jesus notice me? 
Not because of anything in me, but because he's a great king, a greater man than Boaz. And let me say one final thing, and I realize I've I've probably overloaded and and stuff, but I I just want to get to this. And in some ways, I I want to send you away thinking about this. Because if you are a Christian, if you have come to Jesus and found refuge in him, my question is, will you now live like him? How many times do you go through life and you don't notice people? We notice the people who are beautiful. We notice the people who are clever. We notice the people who are gifted. We don't notice the unworthy. And I found this profoundly challenging. It was very interesting. Sarah prayed for the um, refugee crisis. It's hard not to read this and think, Ruth was a refugee who had nothing. And she found Boaz to be a man who gave her everything. And do you know what? it, It challenges me, and I think it should challenge us as a church. But we have Jesus. Sorry. We have Jesus who is the man who is better than anyone. What are we doing with him? It's not a... You know, the people in your workplace, the people in your street, the people you live near, do we notice them? It's not an accident they're there. It's orchestrated by God. And we've got to do something. It doesn't bypass our human decision. We've got to do something. We've got to be sure it doesn't get better than Jesus. And in many ways, you should be the best person that those people know. Because you've got Jesus. And we have to go. And I find this so challenging because I find it so hard, you know. I find it so easy to just ignore, to just shut my eyes to what is going on. But I can't because Jesus didn't. And we've got to do something. And we've got to pray that God would give us eyes to see. And that we would call many, many little eaglets to come find refuge under the wings of our great King. Let's pray together and let's ask that he would help us to process and to live this. Heavenly Father, we this this is a this is a very beautiful picture of what redemption is about, of what faith looks like of the way that you treat those who no one else would notice. We thank you for Boaz, but we thank you for our greater Boaz, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you noticed us. Why Why would you notice me? And yet you do. And Father, I pray for every single person in this room that we'd feel the weight of that. Lord Jesus, that you notice, you notice us. And you want to spread your wings over us and provide us with the refuge and the protection that we need. You spread your wings, you spread your arms at the cross and died, taking the judgment we deserve. We pray that we'd know that. And we pray that we would then be like Boaz to this world. That Lord Jesus, we'd go and that we'd call others. That we'd notice. Please help us to notice. 
when we watch the news, help us not to switch off, help us to notice and to pray and to begin to do something. Lord, we ask for your help. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to spend a bit of time